Let us now begin chapter 22 of Sketches from Church History with Luther at the Vortberg. But let's begin with a word of prayer before we read. God, our gracious Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us today, that you would help us to understand history, and that, Lord, we would not simply know these things, but that knowing them, we would seek to apply them in our own lives as well. Lord, it is uh, a foolish thing when a man becomes full of knowledge that he won't give out to anybody. And certainly uh, it should be the case that we would be using those things that we learn for the expansion of your kingdom and for the growth of others, uh, including ourselves, in faith and, and knowledge. I do pray, Lord, that you would help me today to read and to uh, explain. And I pray, Lord, that uh, these moments together would be blessed. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Chapter 22, Luther at the Wartburg. When Luther left Worms, he anticipated a speedy journey to Wittenberg, but the unexpected happened. At a considerable distance from Worms, the path entered a glen, thickly forested even to the tops of the surrounding hills. Suddenly there emerged from the woods a company of horsemen armed to the teeth. They surrounded the carriage in which the reformer was riding, seized him, and hurried him away. Their journey ended at a stately castle some eight miles distant from the scene of the attack. Its name was the Wartburg, and it occupied the top of a hill overlooking Eisenach. The friends of Luther, and Frederick the Wise in particular, had arranged for this to happen so that the reformer might be taken from the busy and hostile world for a time and provided with a safe retreat where his foes could not find him or molest him. For almost a year, therefore, the world lost sight of Luther, not knowing his whereabouts. But to him, the Wartburg was a Patmos, a place of banishment indeed, yet not so unpleasing as was the real Patmos to John the Apostle. He was to remain in hiding until the storm had somewhat abated. He was dressed in the garb of a knight and was addressed as Squire George, and having grown a beard and with a sword in his belt, was left to his own sweet will. Actually, in the, uh, uh, in the German, it's uh, Junker. Uh, spelled Junker in uh, in English, so he was Junker George. Anyway, uh, now uh, how was he to spend his time? Mainly in the study of the scriptures, but in addition in the work of translating them into the German tongue. The printing press had been set up in Germany in fifteen uh, sorry fourteen fifty four, and the first book printed was the Gutenberg Bible. But as this was in Latin, it was of little use to the mass of the German people. Nine years later, a Strasbourg printer produced the so-called Mental Bible in the German language, but it had two great defects. It was a translation from a translation, that is, from the Latin Vulgate, and not from the Hebrew and Greek originals. Also, it was clumsily worded and partly incomprehensible. Now, interestingly enough, that uh, translational problem was to continue for quite some time. Uh, the KJV itself uh, relied very heavily upon Erasmus's uh, translation of the New Testament. Um, and unfortunately, one of the things that Erasmus did uh, in order to, for instance, backfill the missing portions of Revelation that he had, because you need to understand that um, it was very difficult uh, to get complete copies of the New Testament in the original Greek. Uh, at the time of the Reformation. Later on, uh, other manuscripts would be found that would uh, provide us with complete copies of the Greek New Testament. But what Erasmus and others had to do in their translation was they had to uh, do a back, the same kind of backwards translation we heard about. They used to go from the Vulgate, uh, you know, the copies that Jerome had when he created the Vulgate Bible, to um, the Greek. So he would uh, translate from Latin to Greek, and then other translators would come in and translate it like Luther did into the German language, or translate it uh, as men like Tyndale did into English. Uh, it was not a, not a great system. 
But please rest assured, the copies of the Bible that you have today are based upon Greek manuscripts, are based on um, uh, not copies of copies or translations of translations. In one sense, they are copies of copies because we don't have the original autograph of the original manuscripts, but um, they are uh, not uh, translations of translations. They're translations of the original Greek. So, moving back to uh, the text, Luther was ideally qualified for the work of translation. He had given close attention to Hebrew and Greek for a number of years, and he was supremely gifted in the use of his own German language. It was said of him that no one wrote or spoke the German language as well as he. At this point, the Greek New Testament edited by Erasmus in 1516 proved immensely useful. Working at a tremendous pace, Luther completed the first draft of the German New Testament in 11 weeks, and with the help of Melanchthon, he gave it a thorough revision. By 1522, it was on sale in German shops for some equivalent to the, week, to the week's wage of a carpenter or similar workman, and it sold at lightning speed. Next came the translation of the Old Testament, which was published in parts and completed by 1534. Luther, having been helped by his friends Bugenhagen, Kruseger, and Justus Jonas, as well as Melanchthon. In the seclusion of the Wartburg, Luther was able to take a little recreation occasionally. During some of his walks, he used to look for strawberries, and on occasion he found his heart troubled by the suffering of hares and partridges which were being hunted. Once, he says, I saved alive a poor little hare which I picked up, all trembling from its pursuers. After keeping it in my sleeve for some time, I set it down, and the creature was running off to secure its liberty when the dogs, getting scent of it, ran up and broke its leg and then pitilessly killed it. The dogs were the Pope and Satan, destroying the souls which I seek to save as I sought to save the poor little hare. After spending ten months at the Wartburg, Luther heard of the disturbances which had broken out at Wittenberg, so without waiting for permission from Frederick, he hurried to that city, greatly to the joy of his friends. Unhappily, however, social unrest and a rising of peasants against princes occurred at this time, and Luther, a strong supporter of princely power, did not always write and speak wisely about the peasants' demands. The rising was not suppressed without bloodshed until agitation died down. The progress of the Reformation was much hindered. Now, one point uh, that needs to be made about the first Reformation, uh, the one that occurred in the 1500s, and then the second Reformations that occurred in the 1600s that were seeking to further purify the churches, uh, particularly in places like England and uh, Holland. One of the things that we need to note is uh, there was a strong political um, uh, current, undercurrent in, uh, in a lot of them. Uh, there was a desire after having been, after the, the, the peasants and the common people had been so badly abused for hundreds of years by the church uh, and the nobles who uh, supported the church, there was a strong desire amongst the peasants not only to have uh, the church restored, but to have liberties uh, restored to them. In fact, in the uh, Second Reformation, there was often a leveling tendency, a, a move towards egalitarianism within society. Um, and uh, it was quite per it could be quite pernicious. You got these rebellions that were seeking to throw down all uh, all order. Uh, occasionally, the peasants' revolt was something that uh, Luther quickly uh, uh, opposed. Uh, and um, had he not done so, of course, he would have lost the protection of his political protectors, people like Frederick the Elector. Uh, but he genuinely thought the, the revolutionary spirit amongst the parents, peasants at that time was uh, something um, abominable. It was uh, an attack on the natural order. 
uh, he came in for a lot of criticism. A lot of um, the people who had initially followed him turned against him because of that. Many of them went off after the Anabaptists, who were much more amenable to uh, massive political change and so on. So you need to understand that within the Reformation, there was also uh, there were strong political undercurrents uh, that were occurring within uh, European society in places like Germany and Holland and France and England and so on uh, at the at this point. But that these were not primarily political movements. It wasn't that they wanted a reformation of the church for political reasons. They wanted a reformation of the church primarily for theological reasons, but they did also want to stop sending, for instance, their, their money from Germany to Italy to build giant basilicas for rich popes. The average uh, poor German peasant saw what kind of a ridiculous imposition this was and how, once again, the money changers were uh, uh, in the church and uh, uh, were opposing the, the true faith. In any event, let's get back to uh, uh, our reading. In 1525, Luther believed that the time had come for him to marry. His choice of wife fell upon an escaped mun, uh, nun, not mun, an escaped nun, Catherine von Bora, and his subsequent home and family life gave him much joy. It was a special joy to Luther that at the marriage ceremony, his parents, Hans and Greta Luther, were present and particularly because they believed the truths which God had used their son to proclaim so loudly and effectively. Sometimes the reformer called his wife his dear rib, in allusion to Genesis 2.21. Luther himself was generous almost to a fault, but his wife seems to have exercised a restraining influence upon him in domestic matters, such as Melanchthon did in more public matters. Catherine even set to work rearing pigs and making a small fish pond, all for the good of her household. By means of his numerous publications, Luther might have become rich, for there was always a ready market for his books uh, through northern and western Europe, but the reformer did not look for his reward in gold. He received but a meager salary and was very liberal, often giving away more than he could well afford to the cause of the Reformation and to the poor, so that he often lacked money to buy ordinary necessities for his family. But Catherine and he were super, uh, supremely happy in each other. In his will, he described her as his pious, faithful, and devoted wife, always loving, worthy, and beautiful. She cared for his health and his general well-being. Melanchthon tells us that to his knowledge, in earlier times, Luther's bed had not been made for a whole year. He was too busy to make it, and was mildewed with perspiration. I was tired out, said Luther, and worked myself nearly to death, so that I fell into bed and knew nothing about it. Catherine must have come to uh, come to him as a domestic reformer. Incidentally, uh, they, um, I can't remember whether Houghton discusses it. I don't think he does. Uh, but if you read uh, some of Luther's biographies, you'll, you'll see that he was uh, shambolic when it came to uh, management of his money. Uh, and after he died, there was really not sufficient provision made uh, for his wife, um, if there is, uh, and children. One of the things that we need to remember as pastors is to make sure that our uh, physical dispositions are so set that when we die, we may not be here on earth, I hope we are not, to uh, make fortunes for ourselves. Nobody should be the Joel Osteen of their own particular uh, church, uh, raking in money for obvious self-gratification, making the, uh, the church into uh, a, a purse for one's own use uh, and thus becoming a wolf in the midst of God's sheepfold. But at the same time, reasonable provision must be made for your children and your wife or your, uh, your departure comes at a point you know not. You may make a sudden departure in the middle of a year and you don't want to leave uh, your family in a state where they are uh, thrown uh, into uh, a situation where they are suddenly utter utterly dependent upon 
the charitable giving of others. Now, we know that the church will always provide for widows and orphans. Uh, perish the thought that they would not. That, that should be one of our first um, desires that we would provide for people. But a good uh, provider, a good husband, wants to see that his children are at least basically provided for, that they have the competencies, as the Puritans might put it, of this, night, uh, of this life uh, set aside for them, that they would be able to... Um, to you know, have money for food and and housing and uh, and schooling. Uh, unfortunately, Luther, in his zeal as a reformer and his desire, also he had one of the things that most uh, American uh, Christians don't know is he had a very apocalyptic worldview. He certainly felt that the time that he was living in were the last days, and that uh, the church couldn't possibly continue on for much longer, or the world couldn't continue on for much longer in its current state, it had become so degenerate. Uh, the attacks on true religion were so so fierce, it must be the last days, uh, and that uh, the Lord's return was imminent. Uh, we don't want to get into that apocalyptic worldview. Obviously, the, uh, the church has had to continue on for um, nigh on 500 years after the death of uh, Luther, so we must remember uh, to continue um, to prepare uh, for the future, even after we're gone. Uh, <clears throat> Luther um, remained a busy man to the end of his days. It is indeed marvelous how much he wrote in the space of 25 years. To transcribe his works would take a rapid writer an average lifetime if he worked at the rate of 10 hours a day. It is a striking fact that many of Luther's writings have been translated into English and can be purchased in an American edition at the present day in 55 volumes. His best-known books are his large and small catechisms, both treat of Christian doctrines as he found it in the scriptures. The first uh, was written for ministers and teachers of the word, that is, uh, uh, the second for students in school and at home. So the large was written for ministers and teachers, the small for students. Uh, and the same, incidentally, uh, pattern is followed by the larger and shorter catechism. The larger catechism was written specifically for uh, adults and uh, uh, for the church, whereas the shorter catechism, which most people find very difficult to memorize, was actually written for children. Um, anybody who believes that we are getting smarter as the ages progress <laughs> should consider that the shorter catechism was written for kids, and we had to dumb it down to the kids' catechism level, and even that, most, day, uh, most kids will not uh, be able to memorize these days. Uh, both treat of Christian doctrine as it, is being found in, as it was found in the scriptures. So, uh, they were translated into many languages, and both in certain respects, his greatest book was The Bondage of the Will, which was written against the teaching of Erasmus, who held with the Roman Catholic Church that man's will was not totally depraved by the fall, but was able to contribute something to salvation. In his book, Luther uses an illustration taken from the writing, uh, writings of Augustine. Man's will is like a beast standing between two riders. If God rides, it wills and goes where God wills. If Satan rides, it wills and goes where Satan wills. Nor may it choose to which rider it will run nor which it will seek, but the riders themselves fight to decide who shall have and hold it. Luther was also a musician and a poet. One of his hymns has already been quoted. It has been called the Battle Song of the Reformation, a safe stronghold our God is still, or in another translation, a mighty fortress is our God. Luther died in the year 1546 in Eisleben. 
the city in which he was born. Incidentally, just a little mnemonic device. If you want to remember when the, uh, the two great reformers, Luther and Calvin, were uh, died, you just have to remember uh, Luther's death date, 1546, and just reverse the two last numbers. Calvin died in 1564, so there you go. Um, uh, Luther died in the year 1546 in Eisleben, the year in which he was born. He had returned to Eisleben because two brothers, the Counts of Mansfield, had asked him to arbitrate for them in their family difficulties. He had the great satisfaction of seeing the Counts reconciled. Although he suffered much pain from ill health during the last few years of his life, his final illness was of short duration. He fervently prayed at intervals and exclaimed three times in quick succession, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, for thou hast redeemed me, thou God of truth. Then Justice Jonas, one of his trusted friends and fellow workers, asked him whether he remained determined to stand fast in Christ and in the doctrine which he preached, to which he gave a distinct yes in reply. He was buried in the castle church at Wittenberg, on the door of which, 29 years before, he had nailed his famous 95 Theses, in the summer of the following year, the Emperor Charles V stood at Luther's grave. One of his captains, standing by his side, asked him whether it would not be fitting for the bones of the arch-heretic to be burned. But Charles replied, I make war upon the living, not upon the dead. Let this man rest until the day of resurrection and of judgment. Well, 